0: Mac Power Users, episode seven hundred and thirty-two. Catching up with Mike Vardy. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks.
1: Hello, Stephen. How are you today?
0: I'm good. How are you? I'm uh, I am Apple Vision
1: Pro drunk right now. I've been doing so much Apple Vision Pro. I. I'm overwhelmed. What what is reality, Stephen? What is reality?
0: It's it's someplace more colorful where your friends can see your eyes. Oh,
1: okay. (laughs) Well, thank you for that clarification. (laughs) (laughs) We're actually going to talk a little bit more about Vision Pro and uh, more power users today. Stephen wrote a really tiny review. What was it, about 6,100 words, (laughs) something like that? So uh, we've got some more thoughts on it. We're going to do that, more power users. That's the ad for the extended version of the show, if you're interested. You can check it over at relay.fm slash MPU. But we got a guest today, uh, one of my favorite people. Welcome back to Mac Power Users, Mike Vardy.
2: Glad to be here. Good to, good to chat with both of you again.
1: Yeah, Mike is a the productivityist, according to the internet, but he's so much more than that. We're going to be talking about that as we go through the show uh i guess there's a couple announcements though before i dive into things steven what's going on with youtube and the mac power users
0: yeah so people may remember a few years ago we try an experiment of uploading just the audio we're not a video podcast we're not cool like our friends on upgrade but uploading the audio to the youtube channel and that was kind of mixed success and honestly the workload made it where it didn't feel like it was it was quite worth it but Recently, YouTube rolled out a feature where you can point a YouTube channel at an RSS feed, and it will auto-ingest that feed and make each episode a video. It's just just the show art, right? They're not doing like AI, Sparks, and Hackett floating around in space or anything. We have uh, 700, and at the time, I think when I started, 729 episodes in the feed, and it took a long time to ingest them all. Uh, but they're all there now. Uh, there are, like, this is still a work in progress. Like, the show notes are kind of janky. I'm I'm working on getting that getting that fixed. Uh, a fun thing happened where, <laughs> I don't think I told you this, David, we got a community strike against the channel because a link to a podcast in the show notes, like, 10 years ago, that URL, that podcast doesn't exist anymore. and That URL goes someplace bad on the internet. And, like, YouTube was like, no, what are you doing? You can't link to that. So how had to get that cleared up. It was all... It's like, this is like 2010. Leave me alone. Uh, yeah, But it is there. So there's a link in the show notes. If that's how you want to get the show, it's available to you now on YouTube. Uh, we do not have plans currently to add video components to the show. We're really happy as an audio only show, I think. But I know some people want to listen that way. And so it's just, it's just another option. So that link's in the show notes. It's in the sidebar at relay.fm slash MPU. And uh, it's just all automated now, which which is great.
1: I just love that we have so many episodes that we kind of broke YouTube for a little while.
0: Like yeah, that. it would it would like do a couple hundred a day and then and then literally it was like we will resume tomorrow. I was like okay, you you go lay down Google uh data yeah. center and then we'll we'll figure it out.
1: That's like you guys aren't done talking yet? I know. <laughs> That's a lot. I mean, if we average an hour and a half per episode, We'll be now seven hundred, and this is episode seven hundred and thirty two mm-hmm. quick uh, math here times one point five that's uh eleven hundred hours of mac power users. That's a lot of power
0: users that is uh forty five almost forty six straight days of talking all right
1: well, if you want to catch up uh <laughs> get started and we'll see you next month.
0: yeah, get on it. take a nap once in a while. Just like YouTube did,
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can limit yourself to two hundred a day. That sounds about right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I. You guys are talking about naps, and I love naps. So <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, we're, we're gonna get to that. We're gonna get to that. Uh, oh, Mike and I are our dear friends. We're in. We there's a group of us. We call ourselves a creators guild. A bunch of people who make stuff on the internet, and we uh, talk to each other every week or two, and and give each other advice and and propping up. So Mike and I have, uh, we know all our dirty secrets between us, but but I, I love your story, Mike. I mean, you started out at Costco.
2: Yeah, it's it's funny. How did you get to where you are from where you were? So, you know, when I was working for Costco, uh, the, the biggest thing that I had to try to do when I moved out West with Costco, because I'm originally from the Toronto area. And then I moved out to Victoria, BC, which is where I am now. And they are opening up a new building here. And what they did was they said we're going to put you in charge of not just the food court where you get the hot dog and soda but we're also going to put you in charge of the service deli which is where the rotisserie chickens are. Which is funny cuz every time you see news stories about Costco they're typically about like why the rotisserie chicken is such a great deal or what's the secret behind the behind the buck 25 hot dog. So I was running both of those areas and both run very differently. One is very much on demand, very reactive. It's not like you can cook a bunch of hot dogs up in advance and Hope that you sell them, you have to be a bit more precise around that, or at least have some tolerance around it.
1: Well wait a second, wait a second I've been to gas st- I've been to these gas stations where they're cooking a hot dog all day
2: yeah that that's not how Costco rolls yeah. <laughs> Believe it or not, Jim Sinegal, who is the, the you know, the former CEO, co-founder, he was, that was one of the places he went when he first showed up in the, uh, in any new building that was opening up. And the reason is he figured that if the food court was running really well, the concession area, then the rest of the building, you know, was running uh, in, in a much better position because we were kind of like the last place people would go. You would think we were like kind of the afterthought, but his attention to detail was, was kind of, you know, centered around this, this dollar 25 in Canada, buck 99, but you know, hot dog and soda thing, but I'm trying to run both of these. And one is very much a customer service centric. One is more of a merchandising. So I'm trying to run all of these. And that's when I started to go down the rabbit hole of looking into, you know, time management and productivity, because there's only one of me, but there's these two different departments at opposite ends of the building. And what happened is that stuff is where a lot of what I do now was, was initially rooted in, you know, the idea of you know, stuff that's simple, stuff that's durable, flexibility. You have to keep all of that stuff in mind when you're in an operation like that. And eventually over time, uh, you know, my time at Costco ran down. I eventually decided that I didn't want to, you know, have to be spread out so thin. I I wanted to get into more of an entrepreneurial slant. And so I, I stepped down to part-time and started to uh, work online, building, you know, uh, initially building a productivity parity site called... Uh, Uh, eventualism, and then ultimately becoming the thing I was parodying by a series of interviews with Seth Godin and and David Allen and and things like that for podcasts way back in the day, like we're talking way back and uh, before YouTube even had to think about (laughs) taking a nap when uploading podcasts. But the point is, is that uh, eventually what happened was I I decided to just leave Costco. I, I took another jobs in between just to kind of build a bit of a nest egg. And then, yeah, I started to write for sites like Cult of Mac, which is how we, you know, we all met. Actually, I was looking a couple of weeks ago, Sean Blanc sent me an, uh, a photo of all of us out to lunch or something like that. There's a few of us, Brett Terpster's there. Steven, you're there. Ben Brooks is there, Sean. I'm like, oh my goodness, has it been that long? Yeah.
0: looks so young. It has been that long, my friend. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but that's, so I was writing for Cult of Mac. Then I started writing for Life Hack, The Next Web, and and eventually- I decided to go on on my own and and that's we're talking up close to 15 years now of me doing this in a, in a full-time capacity and uh still taking some of those lessons that uh, that i got from costco back in the day but it was that's where it all started is just doing things like using different colored pens for the different departments and you know uh starting to develop things like themed days even back then i had to you know decide well If I'm going to be in the food court for this day, this is what this day needs to look like. If I'm going to be in the service deli, this is what this day needs to look like. And i kind of taken some of those lessons along with others I've learned along the way and built this business that uh, it just gets better and better every year.
1: And I'm very proud of my friend, Mike Vardy, who has gone from the Costco hot dog department to he's about to release his first big time book. And uh, we're going to talk about that as we get into the show, but But Mike, we need your bona fides. You're in a Mac power users. What are you driving these days?
2: So uh, I was with a Mac mini and an iMac for a while, but last year, I think it was last year, maybe it was the year when, when they, shortly after they came out, I got enamored with a Mac studio because I wanted to keep my main work happening in my study here in in, in the basement of my house. And I was really conscientious of, I didn't want to have a laptop. I, I have my iPad. Uh, my iPad pro and I had other iPads before that. And I figured I could do most of my portable computing on my iPad and anything that needed to be done uh, that required Mac OS or some kind of uh, external, you know, implementation, I could just use a desktop for that. And so I actually have the, the Mac studio, the M one max to one terabyte. Uh, and it is, I'm not even using it. most <laughs> of It's potential. Like, I mean, I am doing some live streaming I am doing, obviously, you know, a lot of uh, audio work from time to time. Video, getting more into video as well. So that's my primary computer. It's what we're using right now. I've got my Rodecaster Pro hooked up to it and all that fun stuff. But I would say that in terms of my main driver when I'm not, you know, either sitting at this standing desk or sit stand desk or when I'm out, is my iPad Pro 11-inch. I've got the, uh, I think it's the 4th Gen. And I love this guy. I love that I've got the the Logitech... uh, keyboard that attaches to it, which is kind of nice. I was looking at the the Apple one, but just decided to go with this one instead because it turns it more into a a laptop per, uh, for the way I like to use it. So that's that's my, I would say this is the equivalent of my laptop. I think the other reason I went this way is when I travel, coming from Canada to the US and doing a lot of cross-border travel, the last thing I want is a $4,000, dollars to $4,000 laptop kind of being <laughs> skirted away. So I've Preferred to spend that money on the computer at home, and then I'll go with the iPad when I'm on the road. Um, in terms of my phone, I have the uh, the iPhone 14 Pro. Um, both my iOS devices are 512. I try to mirror them so that that I know that they've got the same kind of storage on them. Uh, what else am I uh, LG uh, 32-inch ultra-fine screen. I didn't really need anything more than that. Uh, and then in terms of like reading just average, 32 okay. inches, that's all just, you need. Sure. Just, thir- just 32, <laughs> just 32. That's it. Well, I don't like multiple screens. I don't really use dual screens. And I think it's because when I was working for the next web, it kind of gave me anxiety because I was running two screens, having to watch all the tech news coming up hmm. and then all the stuff that was going on on that. So I, I like having one screen. I do use do like the, the, you know, with the iPad, I can have a second screen if I want But uh, yeah, this 32 inch LG just does the trick. I've looked at a couple others. I did look at the Mac studio display and it's just, I couldn't justify the cost uh, for what I, you know, at this point. Um, And then, you know, other, I mean, I have a bunch of other digital devices. I
1: want to get into that in a minute, but before we talk about that, this iPad pro is your laptop. Mm -hmm. Um, What are the types of workflows you're doing on it? You know, where, and, and frankly, where are the stumbling blocks? If there are any,
2: yo, there's a few, um, so for the longest time there were things that I couldn't do even with convert on my uh, iPad pro that I can do now. They've they've, I think thanks to the kind of the merging or meshing of, of mobile OSs and desktop OSs, things have become easier, but I can tell you the things that I typically don't do. I mean, I won't do audio recordings on it very often. I can, I have the equipment to do it, but I mean, I'm sitting here in, in my study with, you know, all the other things I might as well use it. So it's kind of like, I actually remember being at um, the Podcast Movement Conference, Podcast Movement Evolutions last year, and uh, I brought the microphones that would work with my iPad Pro, and it did okay. Same thing with my phone, because I can plug it. I've got some uh, portable mics that will plug into my phone, so I can use those in a pinch. But the workflows I typically use my iPad Pro for are you know text-based, or writing, or um, you know, I will... I'll do video editing on it. Um, you know, I have a video editing software that I use that I, I rather like, that I've been using for a number of years. Um, and it just keeps getting better and better. It's now multi-platform. I've, I've gotten better with using the iPad for video editing. Audio is still not there, at least for what I use. But typically, I mean, I can do almost everything that that I want on my iPad. Uh, there are some websites that act finicky. Uh, Circle is one. <laughs> so I use the Circle app for my community, my Time Crafting Trust community on the iPad and on the iPhone. But if I want to start adding certain things to it, like imagery that's got like a like a cover image, or even some of the menus, when you're using a, a, the iPad versus a laptop or even a desktop, uh, some of the things aren't aligned properly. So there are some things that I can't quite use my, uh, my mobile devices for, ClickUp, which is what I use for task management. It does most things well. But if I want to start... You know, adding and and manipulating some of the deeper settings in ClickUp, I really do need to be on a desktop. Hmm. So for the most part, I can uh, like knowing that though, though, knowing those constraints is helpful because then I know that you know when I'm looking at contextual work, like okay, these things I must be up my Mac Studio for, like I must be, which is you know not not necessarily a bad thing because it it kind of centers my focus and creates some concentration around those particular types of tasks. Whereas with you know, a bunch of other ones, I could even use my phone <laughs> for certain things, right? Like writing, I could write on my phone. I could write on my iPad. I could write on my, I have a, another writing device that I'm sure we'll touch on that, that I use specifically for book writing.
0: Oh yeah. I have a lot of questions when we get there. Don't worry.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but I mean, contextual work, I think it, it can be really helpful in that those limit, just because a device can do everything doesn't mean it should, right? And so for me, knowing that my iPad Pro has some limitations, although they are far fewer than when I first started using the iPad as my primary kind of laptop or portable device, um, it is getting much better. But there, yeah, there's definitely a few things that I'm like, you know what, this is much better to be on my Mac, uh, my Mac Studio than on any of these iOS devices.
1: Yeah, you can even treat those constraints sometimes as a question mark. It's like, well, it can't edit video. Yes. Well, should I be the one that edits the video?
2: That's absolutely true. So there have been some things where, and I do have a, a, an assistant who, you know, if I come up with something that I want to add to ClickUp, but it's not working, it won't work so well for mobile. Now that's not even a question. I just say, hey, Sarah, can you go into ClickUp and do this? And and, and they'll do it. So yeah, it does create this idea of, well, am I really, is this a task I should be doing at all? And if not, then I should be delegating it. So yeah, it does create that. There's a level of, of friction that creates like you said questions and and even some strategic uh kind of workflows that allow me to kind of think differently about well is this something i should be doing at all and if so okay well now i know where i need to be to do it all right and
1: so so mike there's another thing you have that we have to talk about because yeah. i was with you at a retreat and you pulled mm. this you pulled this monstrosity out of your bag and it's your it's your hemming right tell yeah. us tell us about it Steven. I don't even know if you know this product exists. Oh, you got it. D-
0: don't don't sell me short short man. I know. I right. have looked at this webpage a thousand times over the years. Oh, okay. That <laughs>
1: tells me something about you Steven. That does. All right. Tell explain this thing to us, Mike.
2: Okay. So it is a it's basically a digital typewriter that connects to a variety of services online such as Google uh, Google Docs or Google Drive, I guess technically. Uh, you can sync it to Dropbox or even Evernote, and it's basically a, a word processor, right? It's a, like an old school word processor that syncs online. It's distraction free. It it is. Um, the Hemingway Wright is a special edition. It's the Hemingway one. It came with, a, as you as you mentioned, Dave, it came with um, it came with a brief like a like a little briefcase or attaché case with like a nice little uh cloth that you use to clean it. It's very you know it it. It, it definitely is extra. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. In more ways than one in more ways than one. Um, but what I like about it is it really forces you to focus on just writing. Like you're not going to edit on it. You're not gonna, you're not going to do much else. I certainly, I will say that there's a couple of different free write options. Cause that's the company that makes it. It's actually Astro house. Free write is now the name of the company. I think they used to be called Astro house. And, uh, the one that I have is very clickety clackety. It's got a mechanical keyboard, so I, I am loath to sit in a um, quiet place to type with it in public because people look around like, "Why is this so loud?" But there are some other options. They have like the Traveler, which is another one that that is it, it folds into like this almost tiny. Uh, it's very very small, almost the size of a keyboard actually, like a typical keychron mechanical keyboard, which is what I use as my primary keyboard anyway, but they also released a new one called the alpha, which reminds me a lot of, and I don't know if you remember the alpha smart Neo that was like a long time ago. Yeah. So, you know, Steven, you remember that one, right? Like this one basically looks like it's, it's the, the new version of that. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I I did a video on the alpha smart, uh, like five years ago on my channel Uh and it it's fascinating i it, i think the idea is very similar right it's a tiny screen you have a keyboard the alpha smart has internal memory and then you can yep. send it over a wire to google docs i forget which documentary now so i'm not going to name it but remember there were like two documentaries about the fire festival do you remember that thing where, like yeah i know the one on there was one on netflix i remember watching for sure i think yes. the hulu one i'm almost uh-huh. I'm pretty sure it was the hulu one They contacted me because apparently the guy behind that festival, which was a giant scam, uh, Mm -hmm. was super into the alpha smart. And I, at the time, had the only 4K footage of one on YouTube. And so Mm -hmm. they paid to license my footage for that documentary. I got like a royalty check. It was Wow. It was wild. Uh, My most profitable YouTube video by far. Um, But the the idea is... (laughs) Yeah, you just sell footage to Hulu, and you know, money comes in.
1: You babies, you babies, don't know the Tandy WP two. Oh come on, the, the I great remember that.
2: Of this, yeah, I'm not that much younger. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> it, it,
1: it's the thing. All you know, these things. The idea of a keyboard with an eight line LCD display, mm-hmm. and um, and it's it's so funny to me that it's coming back. Right, people, because of this distraction environment we live in, they're like, look. I can't be trusted. I I just need a thing that, that has a a keyboard and captures text and doesn't have any ability to load apps or any of the other interruptions. I think
2: George, George RR Martin has like literally has a computer where he glued the ethernet, like an end of an ethernet cable into the ethernet port and has like removed the wa- like he literally turned uh, a PC into a you know basically a word processor. Yeah,
0: he uses a uh, WordStar very famously, which is like this ancient word processor. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, David, you're right. The the idea, um, the idea never dies. Right, the minimal writing computer. It, it never, never dies. Never goes away. I do think, in particular, the free write stuff is interesting because clearly there's a level of polish to it. I mean. Mike, does this thing weigh as much as it looks? It looks like you could kill somebody with this thing.
2: It's pretty heavy. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. The one I have is pretty heavy.
2: I mean, the Alpha is lighter. I think they're going to send me, I mean, as of this recording, I think the the Adam and the team are going to send me a review unit to look at. Because I've looked at the Traveler's. The Traveler's light. And I actually, the one thing I liked about the Traveler was, even though it didn't have the mechanical keyboard, it had, you know, a very, it had those old school touch type keys that were, they're not... It's kind of a weird mix between like what an Apple keyboard would be like versus a mechanical. Like it's a nice, fine, like middle ground. Yeah, I really liked it. Um, What I liked about that one is that you could just like fold it up. The screen's not exposed in in the Traveler, which I liked. So you could just fold it up and take it with you, and it is quieter. But yeah, the 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 Hemingway is by far. I mean, it's the limited edition. It's the most extra. I'm a Hemingway fan, so I kind of fell into that trap. Um, and yeah, you could argue it cause it's not, these things aren't cheap either. So you're, what you're paying for is not only the, the, you know, I mean, it's, it's quality. I mean, it's, it's a quality machine for sure. The parts, everything that is put together quite nicely. The keyboard is phenomenal. Um, the, you know, the, they've, they've changed some of the way that they've done the screens over the years cause they've been around for a while, but it, it is that point of, it, it, you know, to your point, David, the idea of. I mean, even we're seeing like paper planners and that stuff come back with earnest, like the bullet journal, like there's always going to be these, these machines or these, these tools that are like, this is for this. And so that I can keep myself from doing other things. And I believe, I mean, one of the things I had that I made sure I did is, is that the Heming right, the the free right has its own, like, I see it every time I walk into my study. So it's not it's It's not put away. It's not like I need to I need to see it. so it's like, okay, cause I'm working on a book or I'm writing like that's what I'm doing. so that machine needs to needs to be front and center so that I don't lose sight of it because it's very easy to get swept up into other things that you're working on as a business, you know, when you're running a business. And I wanted, yes, there's software that will do all of this. We've seen it before. I mean, there's i a writer. there's tons of them that will allow for focused writing. but there was just something about the fact that I could. Write on this thing in a messy draft, get it into Google Drive, get it. and they also have their own thing called Postbox that it automatically syncs to. so even if you don't sync it to one of those other tools, it will sync to its own kind of document uh, storage facility. Uh, it, it, There is something about when I sit down to use that thing, I know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And for, so for somebody who maybe has ADHD or somebody who really wants to be intentional about writing, this device or any of the series of, of free writes, I think, is might be what you're looking for.
1: Well, I, I had all these judgmental things I was going to say, like, you don't need a separate device. Use an iPad with a focus mode. And then I just, as I was about to utter the words, I realized I spent $4,000 on a similar device
0: <laughs> a couple of weeks ago,
1: <laughs> where I've created a writing mode where I'm at Yosemite, blah, blah, blah. So, uh, you know, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut.
0: At least the free right comes with a usable keyboard and you don't need a Bluetooth one.
1: That's true. I mean, you yes. could have got like a, a fleet of free rights for what I paid for this thing. So
0: there you go. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and not the creepy, like embalmed persona thing. I just was on a call with, with, with a few of my uh, community members and one of them uh, has the vision pro and decided to be uh, at one point on the call in the, the persona mode, you know, or, mm-hmm. and I'm like, and someone pointed out that, that he looked like he had been freshly embalmed. Yeah. It's just like, that's wow. Weird, that's uh, It, thanks is, for the it visual, is kind Mike. of thanks. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> but that's kind of, it is a bit, it, I mean, at this point at this juncture, but we've seen this before with any new technology, it's like, you know, we're going to, we're going to see how it plays out, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, no, you're, you're right. I mean, contextual, like with, you know, the, the funny thing is, is to your point, Stephen, is that this technology is not new. It's just, it, you know, it, people want to, devote their attention to certain things, and there's a market for it.
1: This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Go to one slash MPU today and get 20% off your account. 1Password is so much more than just a password application. One of my favorite features of 1Password is what they call secure notes. So no matter where you're using 1Password, and you can use it on a lot of platforms, all the Apple stuff, the web, Windows... You can use 1Password to keep secure notes that are only accessible behind your 1Password vault. We all have bits of information we'd like to carry around with us, but we don't want anybody that can unlock our phone to be able to read it. That's what secure notes are. In it, I keep medical histories, social security numbers, all sorts of data that I consider to be critical and I want to have with me, and I don't want the bad guys to ever get access to it. And that's exactly what you get. The only way you get in the one password secure note is to have first the password for the phone to unlock the phone, and then the one password password to get through to that too. Having this double lock makes me feel safe and secure putting important data on my phone so it's accessible to me when I need it. And I get that because I have one password. That's just one feature you get with a whole suite of security features that come with a one password subscription. You also get easy sharing, watchtower protection, and, of course, it also tracks your passwords. Go check it out today, 1Password, secure by design, private by default, and verified by experts. The internet's a dangerous place. You need a team at your back, and that should be 1Password. Go to onepasswordcom MPU today to get 20% off your account and start using your own secure notes. Thanks, 1Password, for all of your support of the Mac Power Users.
0: Okay, so we've talked uh, a lot about hardware, but you're using all of these devices, so I assume there's some sort of software involved as well. What does that look like?
2: So software-wise, you know, for the longest time I was someone who went through all the apps, right? Like, it was part of the job that I had. And, and in you know, I'd say over the last five years or so, I've become less, um, let's say, uh, exploratory about the apps I use for the most part. So I think when it comes to, productivity, which is my bread and butter. It's what I, you know, my whole business is based on, you know, improving productiveness and one's relationship with time. I, I want to look at my task management solution. And I know some people seem to think I've, I've read this and I don't understand it, but to each their own is that people are putting like project management tools in a different category than, than task management tools. And I think that we're at a point where they can be one in the same notion, for example, is one that can operate as both. I don't use Notion per se as my primary, but I'm exploring it a bit more because there's some people that a lot of people use it. And uh, it does have that flexibility factor. It kind of reminds me of what Evernote was like back when Evernote first started is that there was a lot of versatility and flexibility. And I'm I'm big on that. But the tool I use for uh, my business in terms of task management and even project management is ClickUp. I just, to graduate from like Asana, which is what I used before, to use, to use ClickUp, there's so many all-in-one aspects to it. There's ClickUp Docs, which means we can, you know, have a bunch of shared documents that we are using. Plus, it syncs up with Google Drive very nicely. So if we want to use anything that I've written on the free write for, for something, we can as well. The scalability factor with Teams is very high with ClickUp. There's a bunch of different views. It's just very, very versatile. But what I like about it compared to, say, a tool like Notion or Airtable or any of these other tools that you can kind of Modify to make work for you. There is some constraints as to what ClickUp is. So ClickUp is meant to, you know, act as primarily a task management or project management tool. So it allows me to kind of not have to fiddle with with some of those. I can I can fine tune it, but I don't need to, you know, reinvent the wheel or download a template or do anything like that. So, and my team and I both we we all like using it. Uh, the, my podcast producer, who is also now becoming my video producer. As well as my operations assistant and myself, and anyone I bring in to help out, there is more familiarity around ClickUp now.
1: What do you think, Steven? Should we move MP over to ClickUp now? N-
2: no,
0: no, because you're in Notion, <laughs> not. right? You guys, are you, it's Notion for for you guys. It is, is Notion. That, like, yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, I just want to debate them. That's all.
0: It's, yeah, it's good.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it is interesting to me that Notion, like Notion and ClickUp, they're. I'm surprised that there's not more um, crossover between the two in terms of like, I'm I'm actually surprised that ClickUp doesn't have as more people that use it compared to Notion. But I think it has a lot to do with the, the fact that Notion can be almost anything and ClickUp doesn't have that as its advantage, but it is a cautionary tale because Evernote could be anything and look where Evernote is now, right? Like Evernote yeah, has changed yeah. a lot, right?
1: I think Evernote's problems were a lot involved with management decisions. Fair. You know you know, so. Fair,
2: fair. In terms of personal though, I don't use that. I don't use ClickUp for personal task management because I do like to keep those things separated. So I still use Todoist for personal and I really like it. Um, I think people can use Todoist, you know, even in a professional capacity, I have a few clients that use it. And again, it just, it made, it doesn't necessarily scale as big as ClickUp or definitely not as Notion, but it is inexpensive it is powerful under the hood, but it doesn't look like it would be. It's very clean. The, you know There's a lot there, uh, and it's multi-platform. So again, when I'm working with a lot of clients, both those tools, as you as I mentioned, they, they, mm-hmm. they don't just work for Mac. They're, they're, they're multi-platform. Email, uh, again, I, I use two different tools for email uh, because I do like to keep these things separate, uh, especially with team members. So I use Front for business email. Uh, and it works really well because it kind of acts as a bridge between, you know, communications and task management and that you can easily tether it to ClickUp or Todoist if you wanted or in a variety of other tools. But also it's got a calendar built in. You can even do chatbots on your website with it if you want. There's a lot of versatility. It's it's pricey, but I like it because if there's a task that comes in and this is old school thinking where, oh, if a task comes in via email, you got to get into your task management tool. Like typically that's what you would do. But there's now we're at a point where there's so much, you know, inputs coming at external demands that there's instances where we don't necessarily need it to become a task inside of ClickUp. So that's where we can have conversations around emails inside of front. And if we decide to assign, make it a task in ClickUp, we can. So there's a lot of, of, of it's, it acts as a really great communications dashboard for us. That's the business one. But for personal, I'm using Spark. Like, Spark just works for me. I could go back to Apple Mail if I want. And I'm noticing that I am leaning more towards some of the Apple products back in that direction, as well as some of the stuff that Setapp offers for some of my other things. Calendar, I'm not totally set on. I have BusyCal for um, my Calendar app because it's part of Setapp. And I really like what Setapp does. I like the whole Netflix of... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the Netflix for Mac apps and iOS apps, I really like that. But uh, they don't offer it for, for iOS. So then I'm using the Calendar app or I'm using Timing.is, which is another Calendar app that I was introduced to. Of course, there's Notion Calendar. So I was with Fantastical uh, for a while. Um, the pricing bump definitely was gave me pause. And so I have paused my use of Fantastical. So I'm in a state of flux with my Calendar apps right now. But I want something that can. Um, I want something that's that's going to allow me to do a lot with it. I use Savvy Cal and stuff for booking appointments and stuff like that. But I'm not opposed to finding something that will necessarily do all that stuff. And I know Fantastic Cal is 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 it was really powerful. So maybe I'll go back to that.
1: So let's just catch up a little bit. Uh, so on email, um, I'm curious because Spark Mail also has a collaboration function, uh, and it's a lot less expensive, you know, than Front. Um, what's the differences for you? Like if people are out there running their own business, where's the dividing line for you for email collaboration between Spark and Front?
2: I think that a lot of it has to do with um, the ability to have, uh, uh, it, it, it can act as a communication hub, So you can bring in things like your social media, like Twitter mentions or X mentions or whatever. You can do all, all elements of communication. Plus it can actually ask act as a customer service tool as well. There are some CRM components to it. It is like what you're paying. I'm barely scratching the surface of what I can do with it based on the payment that is required. And I'm in a partnership with them. Like I've, I've had some dealings with them in the past. So my rate may be lower than what others would be paying if they were to jump on board. But there's something about the flow that it offers that uh, we've just gotten so used to as a business. You know, my, my team members like it. They like the fact that they can click on the calendar link and see all the calendar appointments that I have and make changes to community stuff if they want right from within front, instead of going to say Google calendar or doing something like that, the web, the, the web chat stuff, the uh, stuff for your website, the chatbot element that's compelling because to be able to do that all from within one app, as opposed to using something like many chat or, or intercom or something like that uh, can be helpful as well. So there, I mean, Spark, it, it kind of, I, I fell into Spark mainly because it became part of the setup suite. And I'm like, I want something for my personal email that yeah. maybe has a little bit more power under the hood than than mail.app does. And uh, Spark was kind of where I settled. But I mean, I remember using, <laughs> I mean, again, email is, I've used dispatch uh, in the past. I've used, um, I mean, I've used SaneBox, still have elements of SaneBox that I kind of play with within the the, the apps that I use. Gosh, there's been so many different, um, what was the, what, there was an email app that uh, I can't even remember uh, at this yeah, point. they come and that's go. Come up, come and that's go. come up, come and gone, right? So I think if I was to move away from front to something else right now, I think that the cost, the friction with my team members would probably be more more to bear than I, I'm willing to do right now. But yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of options out there.
1: What are some of your favorite options or features in Spark? I mean, you landed on that one.
2: I think I like the fact that, well, the biggest feature was it was part of SAT app, to be honest. Like the fact that I could use it for Mac OS or yeah. iOS was like I that's that. that's yeah. that's a big bonus. Um I, I do like the uh some of the ways that it operates in terms of like the smart, the smart sorting. I rather like it it does it more intuitively than some of the other ones that I've played with in the past, like the smart 2.0. I do uh but most of the other stuff is already. I'm so ingrained in some of the other apps that I've used that like, I mean, canned responses, signatures, all that stuff. I mean, it just, it it makes it easy to get to that stuff. I think that's probably what it is is the ease of use. The UI is probably what what led me to it.
1: And I would add to it. The spark is a very opinionated mail app. And I think a lot of people like it or don't like it. And if it's something you're curious, especially if you have a set app subscription, turn it on for a week and see if it works for you. But They definitely want you to use their workflow, like trying to take like some other workflow and apply it in there feels like you're swimming against the the current. But if you're okay with their workflow, it's a very efficient app.
2: Yeah, that's true. It is very much, you know, it is interesting when I go from one app to the other, I had to change the gestures because their gestures were different than Front's gestures on iOS. So I had to go in and change those, which is you can do. But yeah, it's very much like this is the way you should go through email. It's kind of Superhuman's a lot like that too, I think. Which yeah. I know a lot of people are using Superhuman, and I I think the reason I shied away from that because that was another option when when we were going to use Front and then even bringing on another one was they had that that uh, I think it was a data leak or something like privacy issue that came up. I'm like, well, I'm gonna probably steer clear of that if they're if if that's an issue. So and again, using one password, I'm always kind of. I always keep my eyes open for any kind of weird security issues that can pop up or password leaks or dumps or, or what have you.
1: And then switching back to calendars, you're mm-hmm. a guy who thinks a lot about productivity. What do you think about this trend of these new like web-based calendar apps that include tasks? I mean, basically, they let you time block off your task list into your calendar. It, you know, That's the big feature, in my impression, of them. But what do you think of this kind of growing movement of these web-based calendars slash task apps?
2: You know, it's funny. I think that there is a good aspect to having time dedicated to tasks, right? But I think that what happens is, and I know you and I have had this discussion before, David, about hyperscheduling and what your meaning of hyperscheduling is compared to what mine is. And when I think of someone who's hyperscheduling themselves is that they are not leaving any flexibility within their 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 schedule and i think that what can happen with these calendar apps that are saying here's when when these tasks could be done is that if you're if you don't go in there and and in, integrate the human component to it or if you get too narrow with your focus in 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 that like hey these tasks should be done at this time it's not taking into account some of the nuances that could be going on either a during that day or that week or or what have you and i think that the propensity for people to just let those apps kind of dictate things as opposed to going in and, and fine tuning them. I think that's, that's the concern I have is that people are just going to, we've seen this before. This is not new. <laughs> They're like, Oh, I've got this new, I've got OmniFocus. Therefore I'm going to be more productive. Well, not necessarily. No, that's not how it works. Like there are going yeah. to be things you need to throw in there. So I, I think that along with the advent of AI and saying, Hey, just give me your tasks and we will input them in your schedule based on, you know, this number of factors. Um, unless, again, garbage in, garbage out. If you're not being, you know, I'm a night owl. Oh, well, that makes, okay, well, that's going to change the schedule as opposed to if you're not. Or, you know, we had three meetings in a row and that's going to drain me. Well, too bad. This is when this best fits. So I think that leaving it to the machine to dictate that on its on its own without having some curation there. I think that's the concern I have. Uh, I do believe that you know again, I, time theming is essentially time blocking, but with maybe a little bit more um, constraints to it. it. What it does is it it kind of compels the the person to say, okay, well, today is Tuesday. Tuesday's overarching focus is this, therefore, I should be focusing on these types of tasks. I think I think th- the human element is really key here, and my concern is that these apps may cause some users just to remove that and kind
0: of go down that path without being thoughtful or or considerate about it. Hmm. We talked earlier about your mixed use of the Mac and the iPad. When you're looking at, at maybe a new software title to bring into your business to help run things or maybe evaluating something to change, how much weight do you put on what the iPad experience is like? Like you mentioned ClickUp, a little while ago that Mm -hmm. some stuff you need to do in ClickUp, you just can't do on the iPad. And so you've got to either wait till you're at a Mac or have someone else help you with it. Who's at a, at a desktop, but it seems like the trade-offs are worth it for you for ClickUp. So what does that rubric look like? Yeah, that's
2: essentially it is. I will look at what a tool can do for the team more so than just me. Right. So, and I think this goes back to when I started to explore people who were, you know, there's a lot of people who don't use Macs, right? And so I had to kind of think broader in in those strokes. And, you know, when it comes to a tool like, I mean, and I noticed this with even Asana and other tools is that there were certain things that you just couldn't do on mobile that you can do on on desktop. And so when I I think about these things, uh, I do think about, versatility so that does come into play you know am i can i use this on my ipad and on my desktop and will the you know will the experience be similar what will i lose on my you know my ios devices as compared to you know being on the desktop what will that look like and for the most part Stephen, it, it it the 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 friction i'm willing to put up with if it's I mean, again, I mean, using like LumaFusion is a great example. That's what I use for for video editing is LumaFusion. I alluded to it earlier. Um, it was built for mobile first. It was built for the iPad. That's what they, you know, the, and now it's available on Mac and you can get it on different platforms. So start when it started as a mobile, I'm like, okay, great. Well, the desktop experience will be very different and it, you know, or won't be very different and it isn't. So I will, I will look at where I will be doing most of the work for those things. And do I, how much, you know, how much flexibility and versatility do I need or do I want? And then to David's point earlier, if it's something that I can't do, I'm like, well, can somebody else do it? Like, will somebody else be able to do that from their machine? Uh, Yes. Okay, great. Well, then that's not an issue as compared to, oh, no one else can do this. Then that might be an issue. A, A good example would be, I'm actually looking at this right now maybe you guys can help me, is my video, my audio editor. Cause I'm starting to do some of the content editing for, for the podcast again, because I want, now that I'm giving my audio editor more video work, I want to kind of spread things out a bit and figure it's a good opportunity for me to lean back into the content a bit. And uh, he's like, well, you need to have a audio. Um, I want it to be at the highest output rate and GarageBand only does like 24 bit. I'm like, well, what program should I get another program? Do I need another app? Or do I just decide, you know what, forget it. You're just going to do the content stuff because you've got the audio files and I'll just, you know, put timestamps in or what have you. So I do think about this stuff, but ultimately it is if the app will work across multiple platforms, that's the first thing I look at. And then if there's any friction, is it friction I can live with uh, based on how I want to use my devices either here or when I'm on the road?
0: Yeah, I think all that makes sense. I think most of us make those decisions maybe even sort of like subconsciously. Like, oh, I like this task manager, but the iPhone version doesn't do this or that. Right. Or the the mobile version's great, but the Mac app is Electron. So I don't, you know, I feel like sometimes contextualizing those decisions can be, can be important.
1: Yeah, I feel that we were talking about Sparkmail earlier. It's like, I like Sparkmail. I'm using it right now for a variety of reasons. I hate that it's not a native Mac app. I hate that about it, you know?
2: Yeah, it it is interesting. Like Todoist is a good example of that. Like, you know, Todoist is you can get a native version of it, but it's using what do they call it? A PWD. I think it's called whatever it is. The the it's basically a web app. Yeah, but PWA. They've wrapped it. That's it, PWA. So, you know, I don't like that necessarily, but That's okay because I'm using the web versions of it in most cases. And actually, to be honest, I rarely use Todoist on my desktop at all because the mobile version is so good. Yeah. And that's a rare, like that's the that's the interesting part about like different apps, is that sometimes they think mobile first. And like LumaFusion would be an example. Todoist is. They may not be thinking mobile first, but they certainly aren't forsaking it or ignoring it. But like Asana, for the longest time, their mobile app was garbage. I mean, it's better now. But, and again, it depends on what you want to do. Uh, For years, subtasks were like a pain in the butt. Repeating subtasks in any app were hard to do. They are just hard to code and hard to, and I mean, I've talked to many different developers about this. Like, yeah, it's really hard to have a recurring subtask inside of a task that, like, it's just challenging to do that. And then to try to make it so that it works mobile and desktop or web-based, it's challenging. So I I get that, um, especially when you're dealing with smaller development teams. But yeah, at the end, there's certain apps where I'm like, you know, I really wish that this would work this way across all, you know. Across the board, I just feel lucky like I struck gold when I do. I mean, even Notion's mobile experience was not, it's still not the best, but it's better. But at first, oof, that's one of the things that actually probably pushed me away from Notion compared to, you know, again, probably because of the iPad compared to, say, using ClickUp or, or even Todoist, was Notion's mobile was not that, that's why I stuck with Evernote for so long. The only thing that pushed me away from Evernote was just pricing and restrictions. And, you know, I'm clearly not there their customer base anymore. But yeah, I mean, these are things that I don't know that people think about nearly as much because I think they, or, or, or they don't, there's not a lot of time to think about it for some people. They just don't like, well, this is the app that a lot of people use. I'm just going to use it and and fiddle around and play with it until it it works the way I want it to. And that's fine too. I just hate it when people switch from app app to app, to app, to app, to app, which is part of the reason why people end up, not being as productive as they could be because they're moving from app to app to app, or they're fine tuning an app and fiddling with it instead of actually, you know, saying, Hey, what am I using this app for in the first place? Maybe I should actually do that stuff.
1: Well, and I think there's a flip side of that for our audience, of which I am the representative member, where you obsess on well, this app is great, but their iPad app isn't any good. But you don't stop to think, well, will I ever actually use this app on the iPad? You <laughs> yeah, <know>? right. <laughs> it's, maybe it's okay that it's not any good because this is a thing I would do at the desktop or, or whatever.
2: Exactly. I mean, the the iPad for me has become such a, I don't even, I mean, it's weird because I I rarely use it without the, key, the physical keyboard attached. I, I do use it occasionally, mainly because of text expansion. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, when I'm, when I'm using it with the keyboard attached, it just like I'm on a laptop. Like there's it, it, we're, we're at that point and it took a while, but I mean, we're getting, we're almost to the point. And I mean, I know that this has been like kind of the meshing of iOS and Mac OS and it's working. I mean, for the most part, you know, they're thi- the, the, when you're developing something now, for the Mac, it's iOS. I mean, mobile computing is where it's at, right? So you're developing for mobile and and desktop and web. Like it's all, none of them should be more hierarchically ranked than another. And I think we're seeing that because I, you're going to see more people. I bet. I mean, unless Apple changes their philosophy and just says, "Hey, you know what? We're not going to really push the iPad because we want the laptops." But you're you're seeing. I mean, why would you need a laptop if the iPad will do most things? I don't know. I mean, my son is using my old iPad Pro and he doesn't have a computer. He's able to do all the schoolwork and everything from it. The alternative is a Chromebook at school and he's able to do a lot of that stuff, I think almost all of it, on the iPad. This episode of
1: the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain by using offer code MPU at squarespace.com slash MPU. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. With Squarespace, you can stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell anything, your products, services, and even the content you create. Squarespace has got everything you need all in one place. And with Squarespace, that starts with their Fluid Engine. It's their next-generation website design system to unlock your creativity more easily than ever before. You start with the best-in-class website template, and then customize every design detail with reimagined drag-and-drop technology for desktop or mobile. That's important. Any site you build with Squarespace is going to look good on any platform. With Squarespace, you can stretch your imagination, and all of that is ready to go on any new Squarespace website. You can sell your products in an online store. Whether you sell physical or digital products, Squarespace has the tools you need to start selling online. And they have built-in analytics so you can learn where your site visits and sales are coming from and analyze which channels are most effective. This allows you to improve your website and build a marketing strategy based on your top keywords or most popular products and content. Squarespace is, for me, the starting place of a website. If you need to build a website, I always start with Squarespace. That recommendation has got only easier over the years as they continue to add new features, making it super easy to make a very powerful website they've got all the tools you need with one easy solution anybody looking to get their business online should check out squarespace and if you go to squarespace.com/mpu you get a free trial and when you're ready to launch go to squarespace.com/mpu and use that offer code mpu to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain that's squarespace.com/mpu and code MPU when you decide to sign up to get that 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for the Mac Power users. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of the Mac Power users and all of FM. So Mike, I teased this at the
2: beginning, but you're about to release a book. Tell us about that. So I've had a couple of books out in the past. Uh, The Front Nine came out wow, over 10 years ago, which was released by Diversion Books. It was called The Front Nine, How to Start the Year You Want Anytime You Want. And it's been a long time since I've released another book in with such a, you know, quote, fanfare or a launch. And it's called The Productivity Diet. Uh, and uh, the subtitle is still actually being finalized as we're going through the the final phases of, of you know, editing and galley reading and all that stuff. But uh, it's basically, the, the the concept behind the book is, um, a few years ago, I wrote a book called The Productivityist Playbook, where I was offering plays and, and and things that people could do to be, you know, to actually be productive instead of doing productive, which is uh, what I alluded to actually in the last segment, the idea of just, you know, fiddling with things and not actually using the tools to get the right things done. The productivity diet is now centered around like, why are we, why do we do what we do? What do we, you know, and how do we do the right things for us at the right time without forsaking quantity along the way. So, you know, there's talk about qualitative and quantitative productivity. There's, uh, and what we do inside of this book is instead of offering say plays like the playbook did, we offer recipes because you know, the idea of a productivity diet. So here are some things you can try. They're smattered throughout the book as well, but it's basically taking my time crafting framework and kind of showing people how to use that to have a, productive lifestyle because that's the other thing about diet too. It, we hear the word diet and people are, think, you know, for the most part, oh, I'm going to do this for a little while and then I'll, you know, either get in better shape or lose weight and then I'll I'll be fine and I'll just do this, you know, cyclically. Whereas a diet really is a lifestyle choice and that's to me what productivity is. And to be productive is to live a lifestyle that promotes that. And that's what this book is designed to do, is to help people with simple, flexible, durable and sustainable ways to, you know, be truly productive.
1: All right, so now give us the workflows. We're Mac Power Users, and we know you got all this gear. How do you go about writing a book, and, and what are you using to do it?
2: Well, m- one of my favorite tools to grab things from is uh, I-, I will use – the the way I kind of go through it is I spend – if we're looking at a schedule is I'm – as a night owl, I don't create in the morning. I consume early in the day. So I will use – some of the reading tools that I have. And again, this is helpful to have the iPad, but, you know, using things like ReadWise, uh, Reader, which is ReadWise's, you know, reading tool, Instapaper, I will gather up over the course of weeks and weeks and weeks material that resonates with me. And, you know, Apple News gives me some of that. And, uh, you know, I actually get, it's funny, uh, I'll get occasionally links from members of the Creative Guild, like the Creators Guild, like we talked about. They'll say, hey, Mike, this might be useful for you in this. And, Uh, so I gather that stuff up and that's what I spend, you know, the early part of my day doing, uh, if I'm going to be doing any kind of writing work, uh, there is a block of time, a horizontal theme set aside just for, for reading. And I will read that stuff. It's very particularly defined, like let's focus on that. And then my writing workflow, it's, um, I use drafts to kind of consolidate notes that I want to bring in ideas that I've had coalesce, you know, those kind of ideas, I love drafts. Um, I've I've loved it forever. <laughs> it's it's been a, it's 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 such a such a great capture tool. And so for thoughts and ideas, and I will just walk around with my phone and capture those things via dictation. Um, and again, on the iPad, it does it as well. Uh, and then what I'll do is if I find something that that really resonates and I want to use it for the book, I'll tag it, of course, with whatever the book title is inside of Drafts initially. Um, I'm still. And we didn't really get to the note-taking part of my software stack. But with Evernote no longer being part of it, I'm still on the hunt for... Obsidian seems to be where I've landed. But I'm still trying to figure out what that workflow looks like, getting things from drafts to obsidian so they sit in, in a way that makes sense to me. Um, that, that part is, is probably the fuzziest part of my workflow. So I typically just take things from drafts. I will sit with my, uh, my uh, Hemingway. And I will look at a note in drafts on my phone and I will start to expand on I will go through some of those things that are, you know, kind of related to the book. I will highlight those tags and I have a workspace built for that in drafts. So I can say, okay, well, I'm going to write work on this. Uh, The other thing I will do in case I'm not, in case I want to just put my phone away completely is I'll just, you know, have some index cards and I will write some of the bullet points that I want to use for whatever i'm going to write on for the book so for example the productivity diet if i'm going to write about the three realms of productivity which i talk about in the book i will say we're going to focus on this realm of productivity and i will just write the messy first draft inside of Hemingway. it will link to google drive and uh, i have a folder set up in there for books and i will put it in whatever book category it goes in so for this one it would go in the productivity diet book for a subsequent book it will go in another one i tend to work on one book primarily, but if I have notes that are coming in that might go into a future book, I will put those in a, in a future book as well. Sometimes I like to take a, a mental break on those uh, just to kind of keep things fresh for me. My writing time, though, is interesting because I tend to write post 2 p.m. Uh, from like 2 to 3 or 2 to 4, uh, Monday through Friday. And then I also write in the evening. So from 11 to one in the morning, and then I will wrap up my day and go to bed and then get up the next day and start all over because I'm a night owl. So, and what's interesting is there's this London writers group, which I just joined. I literally was like, I want to, I want to really refine this and, and have some accountability along the way, because, you know, support is good when you're, when you're a writer, it's a very lonely, it can be a very lonely craft, especially when you live on an Island. Uh, there's a London writers group, and because I'm a night owl, there's two times where they get on a Zoom call and they just sit and they write. And I've actually signed up for those those that happen at 2 p.m. Pacific time, and then at midnight Pacific time, because in London it's actually early. Like a it's a later night one for them, and then an early in the morning one. And so I kind of allocate a horizontal theme to writing at those times of day, so I can get probably two to three hours of writing done just specifically on the book stuff uh, or any books that I'm working on uh, during those time frames. There are other writings I do, obviously email newsletters and things like that, but those don't go into those horizontal themes. Those are different categories. And I also don't use my HemingWrite for email newsletters or anything that's not related to a book. I will use, you know, I'll use my iPad, for example. I'll write, sometimes I'll write things just in drafts for that. But that's, my workflow is typically... Read in those reading apps that I have, and I have a few of them, I'm, get, but mostly reader at this point, uh, as well as Apple News, bringing things into drafts, going through drafts, and using those kind of cues that I have in drafts to start writing either for the book, inside of my Hemingway, my free write, during those specific times of day, later in the day, and then for non-book stuff, I'll just typically write them in drafts and then get them into ConvertKit or wherever they need mm.
0: to go.
1: That's interesting to me that you use the Hemingway just to write books, That you don't do anything else there. Do you find that that gives you a little extra juice you know, for writing the books when you yeah. have a device just for that?
2: Yeah, it does. And what it also does is it kind of tells me that this stuff that's in these folders, whether it's in Postbox, which is where the free write stuff goes natively, or whether it's Google Drive, which is where I'm putting it, It tells me that this stuff is going in a book, so don't write a newsletter about it. Or don't write a newsletter. Don't use this specific writing for the newsletter. Use it for, maybe it could be like, do a riff on it for a newsletter. Because I will, obviously, I go through these drafts later. I mean, they're messy first drafts. But what it does, I've noticed this, and I'm sure anyone who's interviewed or read books and had podcast interviews or read a lot of nonfiction books There's sometimes where I'll read a book and I'm like, wait a minute, didn't they send an email about this? Like this exact thing was like in an email that they sent or like, it's almost like not plagiarism, but it's very much like you've already written about this. And I know that, I mean, again, not everybody that reads that person's book will be following their email newsletter necessarily, but I don't want to read like Luke Burgess's latest book and then go, wait a minute, he already wrote about this in a newsletter. And this is exactly what he wrote. So it, it kind of acts as a, a bit of a filter, a content filter for me as well. Not just to say this is for the book, but also the way this is written is for the book. Yes, I can riff on it in another medium, but it, allow, it kind of, again, it separates book writing because author being an author is, you know, we, anyone who's been blogging for a while, like writing a book is very different than writing a blog post yep. or writing a newsletter. So it kind of
0: creates that separation for me. Yeah. They're totally different. I, I've done a couple of small book projects and I fall into the trap of like, Oh, I've just written a bunch of related blog posts. Right. Like I, I kind of think in that length and it, it it is funny how they're, they're very different. And sometimes it can be really successful. Like the Martian kind of famously started life as a series of blog posts. And when yep. you read the book, you can kind of tell in places that's, <laughs> that's how it works. Um, I did want to ask you about the the business of the book. I know that this book was a uh, a Kickstarter campaign. I've done mm-hmm. a handful of those. Um, how did that go, and and why was that the route you went? So, why that went so well? Uh, it went
2: well. We got like two hundred percent of what we asked for.
0: Yeah, it's awesome.
2: Um, it it didn't cover all the costs, right? Because I'm going with uh, I went with a, a a publisher who will not only handle. Uh, distribution I mean they're they're the oldest publishing house in Canada they are a a pay to pay publisher um, but they'll also do the audiobook version which was huge and see the reason I decided to do this this way instead of going the traditional publishing route by it because I do have a literary agent and I have a proposal that we're we're in the finishing touches for the next book on but uh, it allows me to do things like what Brandon Sanderson talked about in his Kickstarter campaign. And for those that don't know, who Brandon Sanderson is, or he wrote a, he made a very successful Kickstarter campaign. He has a massive following. So make no mistake when he had the most successful book Kickstarter ever. In fact, I think he has the mo- one of the most successful Kickstarter campaigns ever period. It's like 40 something million <sighs> crazy amount. Yeah. And, and the reason he did it was because he wanted to be able to offer his books in a bundle and traditional publishing doesn't allow that. He wanted people to be able to buy the audiobook, the physical paperback and and the ebook or the hardcover all in one bundle. And that's not the way traditional publishing has worked. So he just said, "Well, I want to do it this way, so this is what we're going to do." And I really wanted that ability too, to have the that element of control. Um plus uh, it 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 kind of gave me agency over what it goes into, you know, not only the, the the process, but also it gave me not just agency, but insight as to what it goes into publishing a book. And I thought, oh, well, we'll be, you know, it'll take six months because we're self-publishing it. No, not necessarily. There was a paper shortage. You know? <laughs> people were talking about like a publishing paper shortage and you have to deal with other people like editors, right. Who are like, and not just a, not just a content editor, but a line editor and then design work. And they're working with multiple different books at the same time, even though you're paying to play. So the process took has has taken longer than I initially thought it would, but it gives me a good benchmark to go with when I'm either going to go traditional or if I want to self publish again on my own, which I'm I'm sure I'll want to do, because the one thing that that happens when you do self publish is not only do you have control of the process, most of the money comes back to you. As opposed, so if you're you know if people who want to write a book to make money, it's it's a terrible idea. But if you at least want to have more control over the process. And at this point, self-publishing, there are so many good options out there that don't really look any different or much different than a traditionally published book. It's, it's a viable option. So for me, it's been an educational process for sure, like an educational journey. But it's gratifying to see all the steps to know, all right, well, if I'm going to do this again, I'm not going to say that this is when it'll be ready. It'll take a little bit longer or here are things I would do differently next time. So I'm I'm excited for the process. One thing I I will say, and I've told David this, is that as someone who wants to write and is a writer, when you get to the phase of okay, we're in editing, and now it's marketing and launching, you, your part of you goes, I just want to write the next book. Like, can't we just go on to the next bit? Like, can't mm-hmm. we just? It's done now. Let's move on. But that's not the way it works for self publishing authors or even published authors. Like, there is a cycle. There is a process. That you you all, you know, every, every author is following at this point. You're no longer just an author. You are now, a, you're an entrepreneur. You're an entrepreneur for that book. You are public, you're publicizing the book. You're, you're doing interviews. You're doing all that stuff. So that part has been fascinating. But the fact that I got the Kickstarter campaign back to nearly 200% of the, of the asking um, was very validating.
0: This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Ecamm. Ecamm Live is the leading video production and live streaming studio built for macOS. Ecamm does all aspects of video, not just live streaming. It's perfect for simplifying your workflow. It's easy enough to get started quickly, but powerful enough that you can create just about anything with video, all in the Ecamm app. One of my favorite features of Ecamm are the saved presets and scenes. So you can arrange everything you want Record it or stream it and then come back to it later. And all of your settings, all your placement, your cameras, everything is where you left it. That's super awesome because very often in apps like this, you're kind of rebuilding your setup every time. And if you want consistency between recording or streaming sessions, that's a real time saver. So whether you're streaming, recording, podcasting, or presenting, everything you need is in Ecamm. Even support for multiple cameras and screen sharing. And a live camera switcher lets you direct your show in real time. You can stand out from the crowd with high-quality video, add logos, titles, lower thirds, and graphics. Share your screen, drop in video clips, bring on interviews, uh, guests, use a green screen, and so much more. Ecamm Live does it all. Their members are entrepreneurs, marketing professionals, podcasters, educators, musicians, church leaders, bloggers, and content creators of all kinds get one month free at Ecam. that's e c a m m ecamm.com slash mac power users and use the code mac power users for a whole month free once again that's ecam.com slash mac power users go there now to check it out our thanks to ecamm for the support of the show Mike you've you've mentioned several times that you consider yourself uh, a night owl. Uh in the last segment you talking about the hours that you write and in more power users when we talk about my review, uh, I'll share this too about me that like I do my best writing between like 6 and 10 p.m., which is completely mm-hmm. incompatible with having a family just I don't get to uh, to dive into that very often. But it sounds like you uh you have been able to to work that out to to work those late hours and you've learned what time of day is best for you for certain times of work and i would love to know how you got there how did you uh discover this how did you work toward it and if someone is thinking about this sort of thing where should they start i've known i've been a night owl for
2: years like decades i mean when i was doing comedy uh i i've you know i was that's when you do it you do comedy at night no one's really doing comedy for breakfast or comedy for you know like that was just the way the way I kind of went down that path with with my acting and comedy career in my early days, back, you know, just in between Costco or at the tail end of Costco, I was doing a lot of improv and stand-up and things like that. But even as a kid, like, you know, my daughter, even who just, you know, as we're recording this, she's just turned 19, she's a night owl. Like, we are, we are born with certain body clock indicators that say, hey, this is the way you're kind of wired. And so, luckily, I've been able to kind of cultivate that that's you know, that that ability to, to deliver the goods while still listening to my body clock for the majority of my my working career, my business career. When I was working at Costco, again being the person who would open up the, the service deli at like people had to be there at six or seven a.m. That wasn't me. That's why I was glad I was in charge because I'd be like, hey, guess what? You're gonna be the opener and I will come in at like 10 and I will work the middle shift or I'll close. It's just always been that way for me. So when I when I started to run, you know, productivityist and, and mikevardy.com, which is where we're headed, I really wanted to make sure I listened to that and honored my my body clock because I have been that person that tried to become an early riser or what have you. And you know, we have so many other things to fight. Like, why are we fighting our body clock? Like, why are we fighting our natural rhythms? Like, let's focus and concentrate on you know how we can leverage that as as a strength, uh, as opposed to being it seen as a weakness. And and for me, just being able to take a step back and look at the way my schedule operates and and what kind of things I want to do, that thoughtfulness has allowed me to kind of say, okay, well, I know that. I'm dealing with a lot of people on the East coast. So the latest I can start my day really is nine o'clock, right? That's like my Pacific time. So what do I do during that? Like that early morning for me, what does that look like? And time crafting has kind of allowed me to look at, you know, the, the framework that I've built has allowed me to say, okay, well, let's look at energy and intensity levels as indicators of when I should be paying attention to certain things. So for example, in the morning, it's actually funny when we get on our focus calls as part of my community, people will invariably, if I'm on the morning call, they won't say, Mike, what are you working on? They're like, so is it low energy daily theme tasks for you today, Mike? I'm like, yep, absolutely. Like that's what going to be work because they know me so well. I'm going to focus on that stuff. But my wife being a, an, er, like more of a diurnal person, she, you know, she's more of a nine to fiver. So even when we have, you know, when our kids were young, I would take the late shift, which means anything before 3am, I'd be the one that would get up. And then mm-hmm. anything after 3am, she would get up. And now that my kids are older, like 19 and and 13, I don't need to be up in the morning to get them off to school. Like there is, I think that's the biggest thing I think people need to know is that if you've got kids that when, yes, there will be a window where it's not going to be compatible with you. I was talking to Hal Elrod the other day, actually, for an episode of my podcast. And he recently said that he's actually starting to stay up late one or two nights a week because his teenagers are now, his kids are now teenagers and their body clock naturally skews later. Teenagers naturally skew their body clocks. You know, they're they're more likely to stay up later and then sleep in because that's just what's going on with them, right? And he's found that very challenging because he's the guy that would get up at three in the morning. So he's he's figuring out how to do that. Naps, I think, are going to be helpful for him as well because that's what I do. I, take an, I kind of take an afternoon nap to kind of recalibrate myself. But yeah, I mean, I've just been able to kind of allocate I'll look at my tasks and go, is this a task that requires high energy or low energy? If it requires low energy, I will do it earlier in the day. If it requires higher energy, I'll do it later in the day. And yeah, that six to 10 timeline, Stephen, it doesn't work for me either because my family's still active, but because I'm a night owl, 10 to 10 to one will work. Like everyone's in bed except for my daughter at that time. So I can sit down here and write and I get the same kind of solitude and quiet that someone getting up at three in the morning will get, right? So For me, that that's been something that that I've really been happy that I've been able to to kind of cultivate and nurture. And one of the things I want to do is remove some of the stigma that's around night owls. You know, first off, night owls don't necessarily stay up till one or two in the morning. It's just they hit their productive stride later in the day, like you, Steve. Like Steven, your productive stride, I'm imagining, is probably later in the day for stuff like this, Mm -hmm. right? So so that doesn't mean you're like gonna stay up till two in the morning. It just means that you're you know, you, you, you kick it up starting at around two o'clock, three o'clock. Right. And so the other thing that's funny about the term night owls is that many owls are not nocturnal, <laughs> you know, we yeah. associate it with it, but many aren't. So, uh, you know, and, and I'm really, re- what I really don't like is when you have praise going to the people who show up to the office at seven, seven in the morning or 8am before the workday starts. And they're, t- they're called go-getters. They're, you know, way to go. You're, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're a team player, but the people that stay after five o'clock or whatever their time is, because that's when they're better served. They're like, why are you still here? Why did you procrastinate so long? You know, maybe you need to, you know, you should be home by now. Why are you a workaholic? It's Like, no, 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 no. Everyone's different. So that's the stigma that I want to kind of help people, you know, get past is this idea that we're all wired differently. And, there are ways, thanks to technology, largely that we can work according to our circadian rhythms as opposed to counter to them.
1: I feel like the uh, there is definitely like this pride point for people that do their work at five a.m. You know, there's books written on it, and everybody like Chris Bailey did the experiment and productivity project where he tried to get up and do his work at five a.m. and found it worked. It was miserable, and he couldn't get anything done. Um, I feel like the big focus should be. Not what time do you do your work, but are you getting enough sleep? That's all, right? As long as you're getting enough sleep, you're good. If you're a night owl, that's cool, but make sure you sleep in so you get your eight hours, you know, Mm -hmm. or whatever it is you take. But uh, I I really like that you're pushing this, Mike. I don't think there are a lot of advocates out there. And just as your friend, I'll tell the audience, Mike is going to be making stuff about this. And I think there's a lot of people out in the world, like Stephen, who do want to do their work at night. And there are workflows and techniques that can make that better. I'm glad that this is something you're pursuing.
2: It's definitely a a mandate, a mission that I'm taking on because it it, just because you don't get up at 5 AM doesn't mean you can't be productive. Like I think that, and that's a lot of the message that goes around is, well, if you get up early, you're going to get, you're going to tackle, you, you seize the day, you know, and the, the, the line, the early bird gets the worm comes out a lot, but, there's a second half to that idiom that that was coined, which is "but the second mouse gets the cheese," right? So it just goes to show that that you don't have to be an early riser to be productive. You could be a night owl, and I really want to help people with that. And actually, one of the things that I did inside of uh, speaking of reading and so on and so forth is why I love Apple News Plus is that I actually have started to pull in from the different uh, you know different news sources. Uh, I created a subject called Night Owl, and there's a lot of stuff, and it's hilarious just to see how many articles are about night owls staying up late or higher risk of heart disease. Like everything skews that way, but there's a lot of studies that go the other way that don't get talked about enough. And that's something else I'm going to be writing more about and exposing a bit more is that, Hey, we only hear one side of the argument and it's time that we have a more balanced approach to this.
1: Mike, we always like to finish up these episodes, uh, sharing a few apps and services that bring you joy and delight. Lay some on us, buddy.
2: Well, um, I mentioned some of the the apps that I, I've alluded to them already. LumaFusion, man, if it wasn't for LumaFusion, which I re- I came across at VidCon about, oh gosh, half a dozen years ago because my daughter and I went down there together. And they were a little outfit. They're just outside of Seattle, Washington, at least at the time. And they had this little tiny booth at at VidCon. And it was some people who used to work for Adobe, I believe. And I think even maybe had a hand in some of the other um, uh, the other apps that were centered around uh, video editing. And they made this iPad app called LumaFusion that would, you know, had a lot of the things that you would have to either pay for After Effects and all that stuff for Adobe or in the in the Apple world, you know, like Final Cut. But there's also there's also motion and all the other aspects. It had everything built into this iPad app. And we're talking six years ago, at least uh, I love using it. It's gotten me better video results than using, you know, let's say the blanket eye movie. And I don't own final cut pro. I'm sure final cut pro would do the same and, and more, but i really, I mean, it's whenever I use it and pull out my Apple pencil and start playing with it. And it it's one of the ones that really brings me a lot of joy to use. And it keeps me, it allows me to do some of the stuff I want to do visually that I wouldn't necessarily be able to do otherwise very simply and easily. Drafts always brings me joy. (laughs) Like I really need to tap into it a bit more too. That's another one that you know makes just my my writing a a lot easier, and just getting things out of my head a lot easier too. If only my my wife's only complaint is why do you dictate to your phone so darn much? Like really, you need to like you know type start typing. Like no, I, I speak far far better and far faster than I type. So
1: do you do the thing in drafts where you push the button and it opens a new note and turns on the microphone? Yep. That's a great feature.
2: Yeah. Yep, love it, love it. Um, Apple News, like I don't think Apple News gets nearly enough love, and I think there's still more that it can do. Um, they just added the Athletic actually today when I opened it up. I'm like, oh, the Athletic, and the Athletic is, um, uh, uh, it's it's a deeper sports kind of, um, uh, news site. Um, there's been some great articles like more personal ones that athletes have written. So I added that to my, my mix, but it, it allows me to really curate from new sources and being in Canada, it's trickier now because there is a law in Canada that um, doesn't allow news sites to publish on Facebook uh, because uh, Facebook is not paying like these, they're not giving any money to Canadian news sites. So therefore they get, it's been kind of blocked. So Having the ability to like search for news sites at the source, which I always like to do anyways, is really nice, especially because I can segment things. Plus they got the crosswords and stuff in there as well. So I think Apple News Plus is something that I really like using.
1: One of the features you mentioned, though, I think people don't realize is the ability to create your own custom news feeds in it. Yes. I I think that can be really useful. Explain how you do that. It's, It's incredibly useful.
2: I mean, again, I can see Night Owl stuff. I can see time management stuff. I can see stuff. Around topics that already exist, like if I want to keep up with the New Jersey Devils hockey team, they're already there. If I want to keep up with, again, you know, any various, I mean, vision, if you want to type in vision pro uh, and that's a top topic, it will pull anything that that's in their uh, news plus kind of feeds. It can all be fed to one so you can really curate it, which is really nice. This goes back. The, the next app kind of goes back to the whole when you were talking about calendar and, and letting the tasks automatically populate, which is one of the things that calendar apps are starting to do. This is why I use You Need a Budget YNAB, for my money instead of something like Mint, although Mint has gone away. But any of the tools that automatically pull things in, um, You Need a Budget is is really helped uh, has really helped me personally and for my business kind of keep on top of the finances. Um, the the strategies that they offer. And I know Jesse Mecham wrote a whole book. He's the founder of you need a budget, wrote a book called you need a budget, but the, you need a budget system. It reminds me a lot of the envelope system to a degree. Uh, give every dollar a job, that kind of thing. It really is nice to keep on top of my finances. And it's a real pleasure to use both on mobile and on, uh, on, on the web. I can tell you on that app, I can tell you
1: every time it comes up on the show, we get a ton of email from people that love this app. And, um, we've never really given it the coverage it deserves, but this is, uh, people who use it love it. I mean, I don't know what else to say. And, uh, if you're looking for budget software in a Mac, that, that should be a good sign.
2: It's, it's fantastic. And it, it's nice to see your money age and all that stuff. It's, it's, it's really cool. And again, it's a simple system that allows you to kind of, you know, keep your, I mean, we talk about the two things that people, you know, the resources that we should be managing that help us, you know, lead better lives, time and money are, two of the two, for the big two. So for me, that was huge. And then finally, um, another one that is new. And actually it's funny, uh, cause this goes back to what we talked about at the beginning when we all kind of met, uh, Ecamm. I've been using that a lot more, uh, as my, uh, as my streaming slash recording the virtual cam, all that stuff. I had the pleasure of running into doc who I forgotten that we even had run across into each other. Like I didn't, it didn't dawn on me until um, a friend uh, introduced us, a mutual friend. And he's like, Mike Marty, I'm like back in the TUAW days, like meeting him at Macworld and stuff. And our worlds collided again at, at podcast movement uh, this past August in in Denver. And uh, he's like, Oh yeah, I'm working for Ecamm now. And we, we had a chat about it and it's been, it's been a, a really um, big addition to the tech stack in terms of doing live streams and, And especially the podcast, because like, you know, like Mac power users, the, the productive conversation podcast is now our feed is now on YouTube as well. It pulled a bunch of stuff in, uh, over 500 episodes and, and to be able to use it for recording podcast interviews and using some of that for video, if I want, or just having, uh, live streams, it's been super helpful and really powerful, uh, great Mac software. So I'm, I'm a big fan of what Ecamm's doing. And, and that's probably the, out of, I'd say those five, when, when you, are, are the ones that are kind of, when I go, when I open them, I feel all warm and warm and fuzzy because I get to use these apps that I'm, I'm really leaning into more and more.
1: And, and I'll just let the audience. know: Ecamm is a sponsor of this episode, although Mike did not know that. So that's a, an endorsement from the guests. There you go. In addition to the fact that they're sponsoring us. And we do appreciate that. Uh, Mike, if people want to learn more
2: about night owl
1: productivity or the productivity diet and all the things you're doing, where should they go?
2: Well, I mean, productivityist.com is still the, the main website, although we are shifting over to mikevardi.com because my, my array of work is spreading, you know, beyond just being uh, productivity oriented. I mean, I'm definitely leaning into the, the idea of time and space, night owl stuff. So you can go to productivityist.com. I'm also still hanging out on Twitter uh, slash X, uh, Mike Vardy there, and also uh, pretty much any other platform you'll find me as Mike Vardy uh, if you want to check, connect with me socially.
1: Yeah, well, keep keep in touch with us, Mike. Let us know. I, I think this Night Owl thing is a big deal. I think a lot of people could use the advice. I know you're doing a lot of work on it. And uh, and uh, I love to hear what you're thinking about Apple Tech. So thanks for coming on the show today, Mike. We are the Mac Power Users. You can find us at relay.fm slash MPU. Uh, we also have a forum at talk.macpowerusers.com. And thanks to our sponsors today, 1Password, Squarespace, and Ecamm uh in the more power users episode which is the extended ad-free version of the show we're going to be talking about steven's short little 6100 word review of the vision pro and more thoughts on the vision pro now that we've been using it a week uh we're going to try and convince mike to trade in his hemingway for one we'll see how that goes (laughs) and uh we'll see you there otherwise we'll see you next week everybody